Hello, everybody. How are we? Good? <laughs> We're terrible. <laughs> Let's go home. Um, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to, the, um, to uh, Nahum. We're landing on Nahum this morning. Sounds like a planet, doesn't it? We're landing. It's not a planet. It's a prophet. Um, these wonderful bookmarks that we have uh, kind of across the room. Yeah, we're on Nahum this morning. Uh, Nahum, it comes from the word Naham. It uh, literally means comfort. Comfort, Naham, is what it means. So go ahead and turn to Mr. Comfort, um, and we'll see what Mr. Comfort speaks to us this morning. It's about three quarters of the way through um, through the Old Testament. We're in the seventh week of our series, Exploring the Minor Prophets. And if this were a football game, we would be coming uh, right out of the locker room. It's halftime is over, and like we're going into the, into the second half. Um, the first half of the Book of the Twelve is what the Minor Prophets are um, called by the ancient church. Um, the first half of the book of the 12 has been warning after warning after warning. Hey, there's a brick wall coming. Hey, there's a brick wall coming. Hey, there's a brick wall coming. And with the arrival of this second half of the, of, we're in prophet seven now, um, we've arrived at the brick wall uh, with Nahum, and then next week Habakkuk, and then after that Zephaniah. Um, It's the third quarter of the book, if you want to know. The warnings stop and the brick wall arrives. The the first half of the book of the 12 is warning God's judgment is coming. You're living in in a less than um, fully human way of living, and you're violating the terms of the covenant. You are and there's judgment coming, and then the judgment arrives. So here are uh, the words of Mr. Comfort, Mr. Naham, Mr. Nahum, a prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. Verse 2, Yahweh is a jealous and avenging God. Everyone say avenging. Avenging. Yes. Yahweh takes vengeance. It's the same word. Vengeance and is filled with wrath. Yahweh takes vengeance. There it is again. On his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. Yahweh is quick to... No, that's not what it says. Slow. He's slow to anger, but great in power. Yahweh will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea, and it dries up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the word, oh, I'm sorry, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. Boy, that escalated quickly. (laughs) I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Um, Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, we ask that you would come and speak gospel. Speak gospel to us this morning. May we recognize the reality to which the prophet Nahum and all the prophets were pointing. May we recognize the substance of which these things are a shadow, and that substance is found in you. 
Oh God, crucified and resurrected on our behalf. And so right now we invite you, Father, come speak for your children are listening. We pray this in the name of your resurrected son, Jesus, who together with you and the Holy Spirit rule and reign the universe, one God now and forever. Amen and amen. So, Mr. Nahum, Mr. Comfort, he opens up verse 1 by telling us that this is a prophecy concerning what city? Nineveh. Yeah, it's Nineveh. Nineveh is going to fall. To, uh, uh, now, I, I want us to think just a little bit about Nineveh um, because um, Nineveh is falling and most of us know what we know about Nineveh because of whose story in scripture? Jonah, yeah. We know uh, Joe talked with us a, few, a couple of weeks ago about, about Jonah. That's a couple of books before this in the book of the 12th. The, the Ninevites are famous. Nineveh is a famous city for being the really, really bad guys. And it's shocking that God loves them, right? I'm not making anything up here. Yeah, that, that's the, it's the famously over-the-top story that Jonah tells about these really, really bad guys who like immediately turn from their evil ways and they, they end up like dressing even their animals in sackcloth and turning from their, from their evil ways. I mean, it's like, the, it's a wild story. It's, it's a funny story. Um, and, but uh, like our cartoonish versions of um, Jonah, a lot of times it becomes a, chop, a popular uh, children's story. It, it, they end up coloring the way that we view Nineveh when we hear like this is a prophecy concerning Nineveh because we think, well, they may have been some really, really bad guys. They may have been a little barbaric, but maybe they weren't that bad. <laughs> maybe they, they could have been that bad. Um, when VeggieTales tells the story it's of, of Nineveh, um, have you guys seen this? They've made a, a feature-length motion picture about it. Uh, Nineveh... On screens across America is the place where people are a little ill-tempered and grumpy with each other and hitting each other with fish. You, you know what I mean? That's, that's what Nineveh is. But in the ancient Near East, like before Jonah was like a popular cartoon, um, Nineveh was no joke. It was no joke. Um, Assyria is the name of this ancient empire, and Nineveh is its capital, and Assyria as an empire is, is bent like hell-bent on world domination. And they build, uh, Joe mentioned it uh, a couple of weeks ago, but they, they are the first empire to build a professional army. <laughs> like pay, they're paying these guys to be an army, whether or not they're fighting. They, are, they rule through an iron fist of fear. Um, they were known um, for, it's graphic, but we, we need to say it. To, um, they were known um, for decorating uh, Nineveh's uh, walls with um, flayed human skins of their enemies, um, for piling mounds of decapitated heads <laughs> near um, neighbor cities who might be thinking about like uh, rebelling or um, we need to decartoonify the Ninevites just a little bit. These are these are guys that need to be taken out. These are um, horrible. Historically speaking, the Ninevites are Nazis. The Ninevites were the Nazis of their time. The, the Assyrians who lived in Nineveh terrorized the, uh, the ancient Near East in varying forms for about five centuries. That's what they are known for in the ancient world. That's what they're known. Like if they had a football team, their football team would be the severed heads. I'm sorry, did you say, we're signing you up for intramurals, did you say the seven heads? No, no, no the severed heads, you know, like... 
skull, you know, we're the fighting skulls. Um, that's, what, it was a joke. Maybe it was a macabre joke. Too soon, perhaps. So 2,500 years, it's not, not long enough. Um, and in case you couldn't tell, Nahum's message is the message that Jonah wanted to preach. That's, it's, the, it's the message that Jonah... And so the God of Israel, verse 3, is arriving in whirlwind and storm. It's an image that Jonah, running from God, would be very familiar with. Whirlwind and storm. The God of Israel, verse 4, rebukes the sea and dries up the river. These are images that Moses and Joshua, leading the people through water that's being dried up, would be very familiar with going to the promise. This is who this God is. This is a God who, verse 5, quakes mountains and melts hills. Verse 6, he's pouring out his wrath like fire, is what it says. This is what the entire book of comfort, the book of Nahum, is all about. From beginning to end, Yahweh is going to, verse 2, he's going to avenge. He's going to avenge. He's going to bring about his vengeance. Hopefully, uh, we tried to bring attention to it, but Nahum uses the word three times as he begins his prophecy, and it's actually the only time that this word gets used in the book of the 12. Avenge, vengeance, vengeance. The word in Hebrew is nakam. And so Mr. Nahum is, bringing God, is announcing God's Nakam. Uh, Mr. Comfort is announcing God's vengeance. And we don't usually think about those two things going together, do we? I don't. I like, like comfort and vengeance. Comfort, usually I think of it like that, like a lazy boy chair or whatever the heck that thing is. Like, what, what is that? Somebody tell me. It's got like a computer on it. I don't know. Um, but you can do your taxes while you're getting a massage. I don't know. Whatever the heck that is. But vengeance, vengeance sounds awful. It's not comforting at all. It, it's more like this is what we think vengeance is. It's like violence and turmoil and tanks. Because that is gnarly. That is that's, that's bad. But this is actually an image. Um, you can keep it up there, actually, for just a second. I'm so sorry. Um, this is actually an image from an entanglement in the Battle of the Bulge, um, where Nazi forces were trying to take ground in Belgium. And when all is said and done, do you think that this wreckage, this destroyed Panzer IV German tank, um, was a source of comfort? Do you think it was a source of comfort to those in Western Europe? Yes. Actually, yeah, it was a, a source of comfort. Like, oh my gosh, that's a Nazi tank and like, they destroyed it. Um, maybe the uh, closest thing that we've got in recent memory, um, recent cinema uh, memory, uh, to this is the Marvel movies, of course. The Marvel movies. I mean, they, they're named Avengers, uh, at least, you know, the, when they all get together. Um, most of us have seen the 2012 a film where interdimensional enemies are overrunning the world, uh, starting in New York City. And billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, whatever he calls himself, Tony Sark, uh, tells the leader of these uh, invasor, invaders, he says, if we can't protect the earth, you can be darn well sure we're going to... Avenge it, yeah. And when we hear that in a movie, we're all like, yes, yes, that's right. The vengeance of the good guys. Yes, we're going to bring vengeance against 
evil is what we're going to do. Most all of us like the Avengers because they bring comfort in the midst of all the evil and turmoil. And it's not lazy boy kind of comfort that they bring. It's the comfort of knowing like I am seen and I am going to be protected and the wrong is not going to continue. The horror show is going to end. Help is on the way kind of comfort is what the Avengers, vengeance can bring. And that's why Mr. Comfort and Nahum is talking about vengeance right here, because the great avenger is coming, according to Nahum. Verse 7, he says, Yahweh is good. Is he bad? No, Yahweh is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him, but with an overwhelming flood, an image Noah would be familiar with, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Verse 14, Yahweh has given commandment about you, and it's talking to Nineveh here. Bad guys, they need to go down. No more shall your name be perpetrated or perpetuated, I'm sorry, um, perpetuated from the house of your gods. I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave for you are vile. Look, verse 15, there on the mountains, the feet of one who proclaims good news who proclaims peace, celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. And so right here, Nahum's actually, he's actually echoing very famous language. Um, It's from the, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 52. It's a very famous passage. How beautiful are the feet of those on the mountains who Declare good news. And the good news in Isaiah is your God reigns, which sounds wonderful. That's a good thing, yeah. But Nahum, however, gets like more specific about what good news looks like. He says, he gets like Tony Stark specific about it. He says, verse 15, feet on the mountains, bringing good news, proclaiming peace, what exactly is the news that are being proclaimed? Well, God says, verse, end of verse 14, I will make your grave, Nineveh, for you are vile. It's like, it's like the, it's something that you imagine Clint Eastwood with a big old magnum or something like. So Nineveh has like become the terrorizing bully of the ancient world and bullying cannot last. We should say it this way. Yahweh is good, and so Nineveh must end. God is love, and so evil must end. Many of us, um, many of us in the modern world are really uncomfortable uh, thinking about or talking about the wrath of God, um, but we cheer when the Avengers assemble and bring holy vengeance against interdimensional aliens, you know? Um, that's exactly the point the scriptures are making right here. God is good and beautiful, and he's love, and so at some point, God must end evil. We should say it this way. Happily ever after requires evil to be purged. 
That's, that's the requirement. That's like, we all know this. Every fairy tale we've heard, every story, every movie, from Avengers to Lord of the Rings to, to Star Wars, like the interdimensional aliens, the ring of power, the, the Death Star for crying out loud, they gotta go. They gotta go. Evil's gotta go. And let this, um, let this be a nacham to you. Let this be a comfort to you. It's coming. It's coming. Those of you who have experienced bullying or abuse or betrayal or for like maybe it was a boss or a family member or a, or a spouse, somebody who just really betrayed you and like maybe it's like sickness that's been um, plaguing you or a family member and you just feel like this thing is just attacking. Maybe it's like the, I just felt like, maybe for some of, someone in the room, it's like the IRS or like some sort of government. Like you feel like it's never gonna end. Like the thing is just like after you and you just, whatever it is, it will not always be this way. Let this be comfort to you from Nahum. You will not be defined. Your life is more than what's going on right now and what has happened to you. This season of life, your enemies, those who have harmed you, we should say it this way, God is the great avenger who saves us from the evil of others, is who he is. God is the great protector, the great defender, and God is coming. God is coming. God is good, and that means evil has got to be purged. Take comfort in God's avenging, in God's vengeance. Take nacham in God's nakam. Um, God is going, hear me, this is for you. God is going to defend you. That's who he is. That's the promise. And I don't know what it is going to look like. And I don't know what the timing is going to look like or how it's all going to unfold or how it's going to happen. But it's good news that some of us just need to desperately hear this morning. God is going to protect you from the evil of others. But we need to go further. We need to go just a smidge further than this. Um, because God's still better than even this. He's still better than even this. Uh, there's a bit more that we need to say. God, uh, um, because God is the great avenger who saves us. Um, but things are a little more complicated than just blowing up the Death Star. Uh, or destroying Nineveh. It's a little more complicated than that. And to help make the complicated simple, I actually brought one of my favorite British sketches of all time to help us. Uh, and so we're going to watch it together right now. Very well. They're coming. Now we'll see how these Russians deal with a crack SS division. Uh, hands. Have courage, my friend. Yeah, uh... Hans, I've just noticed something. These communists are all cowards. Have you looked at our caps recently? Our caps? The badges on our caps. Have you looked at them? What? No. A bit. They've got skulls on them. Hmm? Have you noticed that our caps have actually got little pictures of skulls on them? I, I don't... Uh... Hans... Are we the baddies? We should be able to hold them at this point here, at least for a few hours. 
And why skulls, though? What? Why skulls? Well, maybe they're the skulls of our enemies. Maybe. But is that how it comes across? I mean, it doesn't say next to the skull, you know, yeah, we killed him, but trust us, this guy was horrid. Well, no, but... I mean, what do skulls make you think of? Death, cannibals, beheading, um, pirates. Pirates are fun. I didn't say we weren't fun, but fun or not, pirates are still the baddies. I just can't think of anything good about a skull. What about pure Aryan skull shape? Even that is more usually depicted with the skin still on. Whereas the Allies... Oh, you haven't been listening to Allied propaganda. Of course they're going to say we're the bad guys. But they didn't get to design our uniforms. And their symbols are all, you know, quite nice. Stars, stripes, lions, sickles. What's so good about a sickle? Well, nothing. And obviously, if there's one thing we've learned in the last thousand miles of retreat, is that Russian agriculture is in dire need of mechanisation. Tell me about it. But you've got to say, it's better than a skull. I mean... I really can't think of anything worse as a symbol than a skull. A rat's anus? Yeah, and if we were fighting an army marching under the banner of a rat's anus, I'd probably be a lot less worried, Hans. Okay. It's so brilliant. I'm sorry if anybody's offended. It's a medical term. I, I looked it up before I got here. Anyway, I, I didn't realize that this, until I saw this sketch, I didn't realize that this is actually an emblem on the Nazi uniform. It's called a Totenkopf. And it was literally part of the SS uniform. Like, like I'm sorry, Nazis. Like, if you don't want to be known for the skulls, you, you literally designed your uniforms. And I'm sorry, Ninevites, if you don't like being known for the skulls, but you, like, literally make piles of them and you've got somebody like over there like in the corner like enjoying tea time from a skull and you got somebody knitting death over there in the corner and it's dawning on David Mitchell like are, are we the baddies <laughs> you know the, the, the Ninevites are the Nazis they're the baddies and everyone collapsed their hands because Nazis everyone hates Nazis like when Indiana Jones punches a Nazi in the face nobody's like oh I feel bad for him it's like no it was, it's a Nazi and so everyone claps and so too with Nineveh uh, verse uh, 19, this is the very end of the book of Nahum, verse uh, 19 of chapter 3. There is no easing your hurt, talking to Nineveh. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil? Like everybody hates the Assyrians, everybody and the Nazis, and everyone's happy. The wound is grievous though. The hurt is horrible. And this is the terrible reality though. The baddies rarely realize that they're baddies. That's the dilemma. That's why the wound is so grievous. That's why the hurt is so horrible. The Ninevites don't know that the Ninevites are the problem. Are we the baddies? And this is actually a tension near the heart of the book of the 12. It's actually near the heart of the Hebrew scriptures as a whole. Is um, We could say it this way. We are frequently hooked on the hurts God wants to heal. We are 
Like, this is what the prophets of Israel are trying to do. They're trying to help the Israelites recognize that because the Israelites don't realize that the Israelites are the problem. Oh, wait. Are we the baddies? Are we the bad? Like, Nineveh, Nazi Germany, those are like the most egregious examples of like when the infection, the soul sickness, like rages out of control. But the entire human race is infected by the same sickness. It's just like low grade. It's the same wound, though. I'm not suggesting like there's a moral equivalency or, or tell, that like somehow like telling a white lie is the same as pushing people into gas chambers. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that the same sickness manifests itself in different ways in every single one of our lives. Our lives are frequently fueled by habits of unhealth, by patterns of darkness that truth be told, if Jesus asked us the question that he asked the paralytic in John 5, do you want to be well? Our honest answer would have to be no. Like, the wound is terrible. It's grievous, but I'm kind of enjoying it. The heart, the hurt is horrible, but ultimately it's not healing because I'm hooked on it. Like, truth be told, we don't want to be well right now. St. Augustine, we've already heard from in the service, St. Augustine famously prayed for years of his life. He said, Lord, make me chaste, make me sexually pure, make me chaste, but not yet. That's what he prayed. He admits it in in confessions. Um, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. Lord, make me kind, but not yet. Good grief. Did you see? They just cut me off. Like, Lord, make me generous, but... Not yet. It's way too much fun to blow all this money on myself. Lord, make me healthy. Lord, make me sober. Lord, make me joyful. Lord, make me alive. But not yet. Not yet. Because have you ever had tea time from a skull? I'm over here knitting death in the corner, and I'm not quite done yet. I'm not quite done yet. I'm enjoy- and I'm not... I'm not trying to pile guilt on any of us this morning. I'm the chief of sinners in the room. Um, This is just the human condition. This is the great sin sickness within all of us. I'm actually trying to get us uh, to the good news, which is this. God is the great avenger who saves us from the evil in ourselves. That's, That's what God does. He's not just interested in saving you from them. He's interested in saving you from you. The the kindness of God is committed to purging evil from the world. And that means purging evil from you too. (laughs) Like much of the time we're asking God for really like a really impossible thing. Like we're asking him for two plus two plus equals five. Um, We're at saying, We want God to save our lives without ever changing our lives. That's what we're asking. We want happily ever after without my darkness being purged from me. We want the the life of heaven without hell being cast out of us. When scripture talks about the wrath of God, 
It's not talking about God being so ticked off that you broke one of his rules. And so he's not going to let you into the good place if, you, if you're still hooked on, on hurt. That's not what the wrath... Hear me, that's not what the wrath of God in Scripture is about. The reality is God endlessly loves you. Yahweh is good, and you cannot... By definition, two plus two equals four. You cannot experience the life of heaven, the life of joy, the life of health and wholeness until evil is purged. You can't. Happily ever after requires that evil is purged. And here's the good news. God purges evil from the world by purging evil from the baddies. That's how he gets evil. I want it out. And so I'm not going to throw out the baddies. I'm going I'm to throw out the badness in the baddies. God is just as kind in Nahum as he is in Jonah. It's the same kindness of God calling Nineveh to repent in Jonah. And it's that same kindness that is crushing evil in Nineveh in Nahum. Wrath is how we experience God's kindness purging our evil. That's what God's wrath is. <laughs> like It's God's kindness purging that which needs to be purged from us. My little girls, um, they are five and four now, and they uh, are desperately afraid of, and they hate, they despise with much of their being, um, hydrogen peroxide. Okay. <laughs> The couple of times that they've like skinned their knees in like gross parking lot or something, we've had to use it and they cry and they bargain and they, and it's horrible as a parent because I don't want to hurt them. And like they, at the end, after the bargaining doesn't work, they beg. They just beg, please don't do it. And the longer they resist, the worse the situation gets. And it breaks my heart because it feels like I am pouring pain and wrath into them. They don't understand that I am cleaning a wound. The wound is grievous. I got to clean. I gotta, vengeance on the germs. Vengeance on the bacteria. But who do I desperately care about? I desperately care about them. And it feels like anger. It feels painful. It feels like wrath because God is cleaning the wound is what he's doing. Your father, some of you need to hear this this morning. Your father is good and his good future includes you. It includes you. Happily ever after includes you too. And so that means that he is purging evil from the baddies. <laughs> and you're not alone in it. We're all the baddies. And you're not alone in it. God himself has come among us and experienced it and taken the brunt of it and been the pioneer of it himself. As we're coming to the table this morning, we need to remember the gospel, the good news. The good news is that God has forever become 
become one of us. He's forever united himself with humanity and he has become the place where evil is purged from the world. In the words of Romans, Romans says it this way, says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he, God, condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law, that is love is what he defines in uh, chapter 13 of Romans, that love might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God condemned the bad in his own flesh, is what Paul says here, so that all of us baddies can be transformed. And so the wound is grievous, but it's not a sickness unto death. It's not. And you don't have to stay hooked on that hurt that you're hooked on. The good news is we're all baddies. God's spirit is purging evil and happily ever after is coming. It is coming and it includes you too. Believe the gospel this morning.